You're listening to On The Record Offscript. My name is Mark Coffin, and I am your host. This week, we're exploring the House of Assembly, the dynamics at play there, and a handful of stories that paint a picture of what it's like to sit in the House of Assembly. Whenever anybody talks about the behavior of politicians in the House of Assembly, they always seem to draw comparisons to school children. And this week, we have a couple of stories that relate to that. We'll share the story of one MLA who refused to give school children tours of the House of Assembly while his fellow MLAs were present. We will share a story from a former school teacher who tried to use some of the skills she learned for classroom management at Province House when her colleagues got unruly. Some worked, some didn't. And we'll share stories from two people who held the role of speaker, the person whose job it is to bring the house to order. But first, we'll share a perspective from a former cabinet minister who admired those who artfully dodged questions in the House of Assembly, but tried his best to answer the questions that came his way honestly and truthfully. It used to drive one of my colleagues in the House, fellow cabinet minister, nuts. Because my first question period when I got in the House, I studied. I mean, we have books. Like, with every issue you can talk about, we have books that we learn. We, You know, if that's the question, there's, there's the answer. Not the answer, but there's the background information. You can answer it any way you like. You can tell them what's there, which would be nice if they did that, but unfortunately they don't. That's Tim Olive. Tim was the former MLA for Dartmouth South from 99 to 2003, a member of the PC party and former minister of natural resources. Anyway, I go into the house and I've got two big binders, two of them like this. I sit at my desk and not far from me is this cabinet minister and he says, uh, what's that? Those are, I said, those are my reference books. I said, my first day question period. Well, he said, what do you got those for? I said, so I can answer the question. Silly answer, right? He said, Tim, there's something you don't understand here. This is question period, not answer period. Never forgot that. And so what did he mean by that, Jim? You don't give any answers. There, his philosophy, his particular philosophy was, if you give them an answer, a true answer, it leads to another question, which you then have to give a true answer because you've answered the first one, so now you have to set, you have to keep telling the same story. If you don't answer the question directly, you can go anywhere with the answer. You don't want to have to answer the question at all. You can talk about anything. The speaker will call you on it and say, get back to the answer, which you won't. And that's probably the worst thing about the communications between the opposition and the government. <clears throat> it's not the inability to answer the question, it's the desire not to answer the question by government. According to Tim, he always tried to answer the question when he wanted to. And I never got in trouble. From your from, from my, oh, I didn't get in trouble from my colleagues. No, they just said, oh, well, here we go. See, let's watch Tim get himself in a jam. I didn't, you know. Now, did sometimes I not answer the question? Yes, because I didn't want to answer the question, that's why. Because if I did answer the question, I was probably divulging information, confidential information that I shouldn't be, whether it was to do with a, an individual or, or a contract 
or something to do with a lease or whatever. Tim told us that while he preferred to answer the questions that were asked, he still had an appreciation for some of the techniques used by those who avoided the questions. I gotta tell you, this is a little anecdote, which which is beautiful. And if you talk to John Buchanan or any of the, or Jack McIsaac or any of the real old guys, we had a guy, Roger Bacon, from up in Cumberland County. I don't know if you ever knew Roger, but Roger's still alive. He's blind now, God love him. But um, Roger was Depart Minister of Agriculture. And it wouldn't matter what question you asked him. It wouldn't matter if it was about sowing corn or sheep, uh, horses, beef cattle, chickens. Wouldn't matter what it was. You ask him a question, and he'd stand up. And you can go back and answer, just go in and Google Roger Bacon, and he'll say, he'll stand up, Mr. Speaker, I thank the member for the question. I just want to know one thing, why don't you like farmers? Why don't you like farmers? Why are you always picking on farmers? He sit down. The guy would get up and say, Mr. Speaker, you know, uh, I didn't get it. I, it's not that I don't like farmers. I'm trying to help the farmers. This is a guy in opposition. I'm trying to help the farmers resolve this issue. Well, you're not helping. Then he'd stand up. Well, you're not helping them by asking that kind of question. Why don't you like farmers? And he'd sit back down. He did that all the time. He never, ever answered a question. And everybody would say, okay, is this the time he's going to answer the question? But he never did. I shouldn't say never. I'm sure he did answer some questions, but... But his favorite line was, if he didn't want to answer a question, was, why don't you like farmers? What do you got against farmers? You don't like cows, pigs, chickens, what? If you can do that, that's an art. And there are lots of cabinet ministers that can do that, and have over the years. Answer a question with a question. Okay. And, um, so Which you're not allowed to do, by the way. Because you'd say, when was it, you'd say, well, when was the last time you were on a farm? If it was Roger, when was the last time you were on a farm? You know, in the legislature, I took the approach that I would take every day with me some work. And when each person rose to speak, I would listen and see if they were saying anything. And if they were saying anything at all, if it were stupid or if I disagreed with it or it didn't matter if, it would, if they were in fact saying anything at all I would listen and if they were saying nothing I would do my work uh, and I got an enormous amount of work done that's Gary Burrell Gary is now the leader of the Nova Scotia NDP and serving as an MLA for Halifax Shibukto but when we interviewed him he was a former MLA who had returned to his career as a church minister the, uh, the legislative day as you probably know uh, uh, at least a quarter of legislative time is taken up with what I have called the happy birthday hour where the, the legislators get up and, and just read these various resolutions. Uh, uh, the happy birthday hour, as Gary called it, is used for everything from actually wishing people happy birthday to celebrating new businesses that have just opened and old businesses that have been operating for a long time. Each MLA does this for businesses and constituents back home and if you start looking for them, you'll actually see these resolutions framed in some of the establishments that have had resolutions read about them. They're printed on very official-looking paper, and it gets sent by the MLA to the constituent. Of course, nobody back home is paying attention when the resolution is read, but they get that fancy-looking paper. I'm not sure if the frame comes with it, or if that's something you've got to do yourself. They look nice. Uh, well, the, the purpose of these resolutions could be accomplished without taking this public hour. 
you know they could they could all be tabled and published in Hansard and um, um, this uh, this would have lent I think a, a new tone of seriousness to matters. Uh, My understanding is that in the last four or five years, the amount of time that gets taken up by these resolutions has been drastically reduced. I placed a, a lot of emphasis in my work uh, as an MLA on bringing uh, groups of uh, children to the legislature and talking about uh, democracy, what democracy means and how it functions in Nova Scotia. When Gary was in MLA, the first time, he had a program where he would speak to classes in public schools, and then they would come and visit him in the legislature for a tour. But I, I made sure to never do it when the legislature was there, because I was talking to them about a serious matter. I didn't wish them to waste their time watching the legislators themselves. Uh, so I always did it when the room was empty, and had, would have the children come into the room, and then we would conduct a debate uh, 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 and participate in doing something in the, in the chamber itself. But I, I didn't think that kind of democratic education project would be enhanced at all by their observing their legislators. According to Gary, the tone of the legislature lacked a seriousness of purpose. And in his view, in order to instill that seriousness of purpose, it takes a concerted effort. Well, seriousness of purpose is like everything else. It doesn't look after itself. It needs nurturing, organization, support, adjustment, consideration. And uh, uh, seriousness of purpose in the public discourse has not received uh, this as it needs to in Nova Scotia. But this is all amenable to solution. The... uh, I always thought it would be a, you know, a wonderful thing uh, for a new speaker to say, um, all discourse henceforward is going to be conducted with respect. Anything happens is disrespectful. It's also always disrespectful to speak when another person is speaking. Uh, it, it, will, it will be utterly unabided. This is where we are. Uh, uh, well, this could, this could be done. I mean, this is exactly what we do in every community meeting in the province. You know, the, uh, we, w- we wouldn't, you would, I, I wouldn't attempt to run a church meeting uh, with the level of dysfunction and disorder that the legislature runs with, you wouldn't be able to accomplish the church's business. It wasn't an environment that I was comfortable when people were adversarial yeah. or if there was heckling. Um, and I had a great deal of difficulty not answering a comment that would fly across to, from the other side. Ramona Jennings was one of Gary's colleagues in the NDP caucus. She was the MLA for King South, the writing that covers Wolfville, and also the education minister. Before entering politics, Ramona was a school teacher, and the two stories we'll share from her are told from that perspective. One where her classroom management strategies turned out to be not so useful in the House of Assembly, and another where they actually worked in her favor and got her an apology from a member of the opposition. And I also had a great deal of difficulty talking over the noise. And I was being coached to try to ignore it and keep on talking because, as you know, the noise that an MLA hears on the floor of the legislature is not recorded in Hansard. It would have to be at an extreme level to get caught on the mic. So as you're speaking, your voice goes in the mic. That's what they're hearing in the sound booth. That's what gets recorded in Hansard. And if you stop at any time, it just looks in... It looks... it's like no one understands why you've stopped talking, and uh, like and as a teacher, <laughs> what teachers generally do when uh, there's an uproar is you just wait until the tone, till it settles a bit. So I had to learn to to talk over a great deal of noise, and I found it, 
I found that uh, distracting, a little bit problematic. I still had to, um, it, was, it was something that I didn't get used to doing. But sometimes the lessons Ramona learned from managing the classroom were useful to her in the legislature. But it's each person's responsibility to make sure that your members mind their manners, I guess. It's, and I mean, there's a school teacher in me, and I have to tell you that Jamie Bailey, who sat directly across from me one day, said something. He got up and he said something that was a little bit mm, edgy, and I just looked at him. Like, and he got up and apologized. I never said a word. And he came up, he met me in the chamber. He said, he said, I could tell from the look on your face that I disappointed you. And it was that teacher kind of thing. And he said, then I realized myself that that was really out of turn. And he stood up and apologized. The only way it's going to change is when people recognize themselves that they, that they have to behave. And there's, there's no need for that drama. It doesn't, it doesn't play well for the people in the public. And it just makes it toxic, and it just makes it harder to do the work. Ramona Jennings suggested that it's each person's responsibility to raise the level of decorum in the legislature. And while I doubt anybody would disagree with that, it is without a doubt a greater responsibility for one member of the House in particular. Now, you asked if I ever had to uh, eject a member from the House, and the answer is no. Art Donahue was the Speaker of the House of Assembly from 1981 to 1991, and an MLA for Halifax Citadel with the Progressive Conservative Party. In the 10 years that I was Speaker, uh, I did not have to name a member, as they say, uh, and and ask him to leave. Uh, I came very, very close one time, um, and I'll name names, Vince McLean, who was the leader of the Liberal Party and the leader of the opposition at the time, uh, got involved in a, in a very, very vigorous argument with uh, one of the members of cabinet and used some language that uh, was clearly unparliamentary. As the Speaker, it would have been Art's responsibility not only to remove unruly members from the House, but bring them to order before they got to the point of needing to be removed. The the, the decorum of the members was pretty good, uh, I would say, yeah. Okay, so you didn't have any heckling or... Oh, yes, there was heckling, uh, but... uh, Heckling is just part of the process, and uh, as long as it didn't get out of hand, uh, it it would just kind of fit into the routine. Uh, So there's not um, any, I guess, rule in the standing orders that says the House has to be silent when a member is speaking, or... Uh, There there is a rule that says that, yes, uh, the member who has the floor is supposed to be the only one who's heard. Now, that rule is honored more in the breach than in the observance, but as long as the interjections aren't uh, completely uh, out of order, uh, they, they are considered to be part of the regular course of proceedings. Art told us, as did many MLAs, that the decorum would begin to deteriorate in the legislature as an election approached. If, if it was time for you know election to be called in the not too distant future, then things would get a little rowdier and the opposition were anxious to uh, make their points and uh, and um, show what a terrible government was in office and uh, 
uh, it, it would get a little more vigorous and a little rowdier at those times too. Um, or on occasion, you have to kick somebody out of the chamber. You know, they're just not going to uh, obey the rules. So um, I only had that experience once, or had to uh, ask somebody to. You know, I, he was escorted out and left. He was an opposition member, but but I certainly brought people to the task or brought them to the order from time to time or cut them off said, no, that's, uh, we're not going any further with that. That's Charlie Parker. He was the Speaker of the House from 2009 to 2011. He was the MLA for Pictou West and a part of the NDP. His take on the decorum of the House of Assembly is not unlike the way we've heard most people describe it. Kindergarten children could do better than this. You know, and there, there's some truth in that. It, it's not as... Uh, I don't know what it is. It's just you become... I guess it's the group mentality. You become partisan uh, somewhat. It can create an atmosphere that, that is it's not normal in, in, in the, the run of a course, the run of a mill, everyday uh, activities in uh, your life that you're doing. But uh, when you bring all these people in that are within the confines of a certain political uh, belief or party, and then there's the other guys that are, are of another political party, but you know, not a whole lot different men or women than, than you are, but, but in that atmosphere, the, it, the partisanship becomes blown up more so than ever, and it's uh, more so than ever it's in, the, in that legislative chamber than, than anywhere else you would find it in the province or in, in everyday life. So it's just, um, I don't know that there's a way to combat that, but it's that partisanship that maybe people aren't all that partisan on, as an individual. But when they get with others of similar stripe and against others on the other side, it seems to create an atmosphere that's adversarial. It's probably more adversarial than ever. And I don't know if that's a good thing, but that's just, uh, that's reality. Most of the MLAs we spoke to seem to agree that the tone of the legislature has worsened over time. Charlie Parker would have been one of the more recent speakers. He said there aren't many parliaments or legislatures anywhere that have got this figured out. Of course, it's not an easy job being a, being a speaker, and I, I think uh, uh, if you ask anybody that's been in that role, they'll, they'll tell you that. That it's uh, you're, um, I've heard it described like you're uh, uh, trying to herd cats or something, you know. And uh, you know, it, it's a balancing act to, to keep that discipline and keep the uh, decorum in there as best you can. But it, it's same in Ottawa in the Parliament, and, and it's the same in other legislatures. So there, there has to be some way to to bring more decorum uh, to that public institution. Charlie also seemed to believe that it wasn't the people that were the problem, but something about the legislative environment itself. And while initially people, well, I'm here to, I'm going to talk about the issues in my writing and bring issues forward that are important to people there. Uh, but then, you know, I don't know what's cat calls or, or bantering back and forth, and, 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 and they lose that innocence of just being there to represent the people and they become almost uh, uh, a mechanism of the party, you know, and, uh, or uh, represented a, a political party, which may or may not be different than the other political party, but it's just, uh, uh, it's us against them and it becomes adversarial. I don't, I don't know if there's some way to change that. One suggestion I've heard that is, um, you know, that, well, we need more women in the legislature. They're less adversarial, less um, likely to do that catcalling and, and bickering back and forth, and, and that may well be true. And uh, um, so that may be one possible solution to have uh, a better gender balance. But anyway, it, it does, most 
MLAs do change in that regard and that they go in uh, with the best interests of their constituents. And I'm, I'm not saying they, that they don't still have that, but they also gain that, that uh, partisanship that they probably didn't have before. And is that, was that your experience? Did you change or I probably changed some yeah and uh, it just uh, a little bit I tried not to and, and by the end of his time in the legislature Charlie left the role of speaker and served out the remainder of his days in the House of Assembly as the Minister of Natural Resources he stopped being the referee for question period and became the target of the questions being asked by the opposition but yeah there time to time probably in the heat of the moment and you know you get a really sharp question coming at you in question periods and Maybe you're almost just a sharp back in your answer, you know, and uh, it's just part of that to and fro within the legislature that, that creates that kind of uh, um, atmosphere that, you know, you might holler something over that ordinary meeting or room, you would never do that, you know. But because of the nature of that uh, bear pit or whatever you want to call it, uh, it's just it's easy enough for members to get carried away. And I can't say that I uh, am totally innocent in that regard either. In an earlier episode of Offscript, we shared how MLAs learned the ropes of their new jobs. There's typically a one-day session at the House of Assembly for orientation, and not much else. There was a transcript published in the Hansard for one of those day-long sessions in 2003. A former PC cabinet minister, Murray Scott, then Speaker of the House, offered the following advice to MLAs. If you don't remember anything, remember that whatever happens in the legislature, whatever happens in the Legislative Assembly, as far as issues being debated and issues on behalf of your constituency or critic areas, leave it there. When you come out of there, we're all MLAs for the province. We're representing our own constituencies, and don't carry that with you when you come out of there. Later in the same transcript, Roderick MacArthur, then Chief Clerk of the Legislative Assembly, offers his word of warning to MLAs. He said, The House is the only house that's never a home. It may be a lively and scintillating arena, often theatrical, but one is never totally at ease here. And that includes the clerks, by the way. There is always a certain edginess to the place, and it's something you get used to. End quote. The two images one is left with when reading these sections of the transcript are this notion that the House is governed by this general sense of dis-ease within the legislature, and the idea that outside of the legislature, things are better, that people can be friends again. I once heard a member of Parliament use that all-too-Canadian metaphor of describing Parliament as a hockey rink. There are two teams who are constantly trying to score points on one another while they're on the ice, or in the House. But when they're off the ice, they're all collegial, they're buddy-buddy. Sports analogies were rampant in our conversations with former MLAs about what happens in the House of Assembly and in politics in Nova Scotia. Actions in the legislature are about scoring points. Progress is throwing your opponent off his game, making him misspeak or reveal more than he had planned to, exposing the fact that she doesn't have an answer to your question, or using the rules of the House to exhaust or delay the other team. Sports analogies are tough to stomach if you're not a partisan. If you are a partisan, specifically a hyper-partisan, somebody so partisan that the only direction worth considering is the one put forth by your own party, your own leader, your own colleagues, then sports analogies aren't tough to stomach at all. They make perfect sense. If you're a hyper-partisan, then sports analogies not only make perfect sense, but you can build a political strategy around them. But they're tough to stomach if you are not a hyper-partisan. If you don't buy into the idea that any single party has a monopoly on good ideas. 
If you don't buy into this idea, this idea that the house is a place where the conflict happens and that MPs and MLAs can be friendly and collegial only outside the house like members of opposite hockey teams, that's also quite challenging to stomach. It means one of two things. The value is placed on the relationship between MPs and MLAs for some reason other than their ability to put those relationships to work for the interests of all Nova Scotians or Canadians. Or perhaps it means that those relationships are being put to good use in the making of public policy decisions on behalf of Nova Scotians. But that's not what happens in the House of Assembly. And what happens in the House of Assembly is just for show. So which is it? Based on the conversations we've had with former MLAs, and based on the conversations I have with people who sit in and around the legislature now, my sense is that it's a little of both. Thanks for listening to this episode of On the Record Off Script. We'll be back next Wednesday with another special episode. And in the meantime, we encourage you to subscribe to On the Record Off Script in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts from. If you don't currently subscribe to any podcasts, but perhaps you're listening to this podcast on the springtide.ngo website, you can scroll down a little bit and find a place to enter your email to get updates whenever we release a new podcast so you are among the first to know. If you like what we're doing with Offscript and you want to keep hearing more podcasts like this one, please support the podcast. You can do so at offscript.ca slash donate, contributing $3, $5, or $8 a month. Whatever you feel this is worth to you uh, makes a big difference, and every dollar donated goes directly towards the cost of producing and creating this podcast every week. 